Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi, and with me is Armin Nafabi. Armin, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, and I know that there's a lot to get into today because this is a topic where, I mean, we have an hour. We really have to cover a lot of stuff, and especially this is going to be a learning experience for me, too, because even though I know about the situation, I think, Armin, you will be like the main source of this. Um, so I'm really curious to see what's going on. Um, uh, we're talking about Iran again today. Iran had the election last Friday, election, quote, unquote, election, right? A, a lot of people there rightly you think. Go. You yeah. know what's up. Yep, a lot of people uh, do rightly believe that it was a faux election. Uh, the hardliner, Ibrahim Raisi, who was really the only, like, the only real choice, uh, has, quote, unquote, won the recent, quote, unquote, election in Iran. Um, turnout was a, at a record low, like the lowest turnout in, in, in history for Iran, uh, because there was no real choice that was existing on the ballot. Um, Raisi is an extremely conservative man. Uh, he is under U.S. sanctions. Uh, he has been linked to uh, mass executions of political prisoners uh, since he was in his 20s. Um, he's just, I mean, he's just considered a monster by most civilized people. So we're going to talk today about what this means, how this election, why it was engineered the way it was, which it was, and uh, what what this ultimately means for the future of Iran, its people, and also its regional allies and its enemies. Okay, and how this affects also. I think you know that I'm actually really interested in how it affects like the whole Israel-U.S. balance as well and the Iran nuclear deal. So, yeah, let's get into it. So tell tell us about this election why was it engineered the way it was and who is this guy Raisi? all right so just to be clear uh, iranian elections were always engineered this was just more of a mask of transparent version of more transparently done so than earlier and more no risk taking anymore uh, not letting any opposition and a, a lot of people think that was also by uh, design. I mean, this goes. This whole election goes into the forty-three-year-long def definition, like trying to come up with a the process of coming up with a definition of what it even means to be an Islamic republic. Right. This was the struggle between being a, the struggle between being a republic and being an Islamic country existed from day one. Um, and it continues, and people still can't figure out what, <laughs> what an Islamic Republic means, especially in Iran. Uh, we could see, like, from day one, uh, Khomeini, which is the founder of the Islamic Republic, uh, we have audio, like, this is not made of stuff, this is not a conspiracy, this is, like, we have audio recording of this. Khomeini mentioned that the people who even mention, uh, fight for a republic are traitors. They're the enemies of uh, Iran, uh, of his revolution. Well, not Iran, his revolution, right? Uh, because he said, like, he would say that we didn't, we didn't give martyrs for a democracy. We didn't give martyrs for uh, a republic. He always said that we gave blood for Islam. Uh, we don't want Democrats. Uh, we want Muslims, real Muslims, to lead this country, right? So the whole idea of this country even being an Islamic Republic was against the wishes of its founders to begin with. Um, and, the, you know, when we grew up in Iran, we didn't know that the, the first few years of the Islamic Republic of Iran, there was, like, it wasn't unanimously the mullahs deciding what this country is going to be run like. There was a major struggle at the beginning between different groups um, which was mainly between the Islamists and the communists, right? And, uh, you know, so 
early on when the revolution happened in Iran, most people who eventually supported Khomeini didn't really understand what this Islamic part of this revolution really means. They thought like Islamic means like they're fighting against a dictator monarch is, who is not giving people freedom of speech, freedom of expression. And what you're doing is like Islam is like a tool that is being used to bring justice and peace, Islam, religion, good. These are mullahs are arbiters of morality and goodness and whatever. But the, what they were fighting for was for freedom, like the whole Islamic part of it. Like they didn't really understand. Most people had not understood what Khomeini's uh, ideology is and he was very clever that when his revolution was becoming more popular the things that he mentioned in his book he wasn't really uh, expressing that um, when his revolution was becoming successful but when the revolution finally becomes successful you had the elements of the the communists and the islamists fighting for power and eventually the commies were uh, eradicated um not just like ideologically but physically like they were executed and it's very interesting because this new president was responsible for a lot of those executions, right? And what is the, like we're talking about the executions in uh, 1988, and these are mostly uh, you know people from the Tudor Party and the Communists and people who are now associated like which eventually led to the evolution of uh, the radical group, um, the MEK which is like a merger between Islam and communism is weird, but we won't get into that. Uh, but I mean, these people were mostly civilians that were being executed without due process, without any, um, you know, just because of their participation in uh, political activity against the party that was Islam the Islamic Republic. Um, and this also broke uh, apart a lot of the mullahs, like, uh, believe it or not, most, most a lot of these mullahs are not that... <laughs> bloodthirsty as much as Khomeini was like there was a like a lot of people were like what are we doing this is worse than the what was this is this this level of ex executions are worse than what the Shah was doing like not even close to what the Shah was doing before the revolution right um and we uh, if you we have recordings of the person who was supposed to become the supreme leader after Khomeini being completely shocked by what the Khomeini was doing at that time and he was addressing the people who were responsible for these executions, which was Racy, which was one of them. The, the, the group of people who were responsible for this execution by the order of Khomeini, by the way, Ali, this is very interesting, without Khomeini even knowing at that time, right? Uh, so he was completely unaware of this going. But Montazeri, which was the, supposed to be the future um, um, supreme leader, he was telling... This, this committee, which is, by the way, Ali, the committee of the people who were responsible for these executions are referred to as the committee of death, okay? Or the death commission. Which I is, love it. We yeah, need to have one of those. Oh my, yeah, I, I actually don't joke about it. That's crazy. You know, okay. like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's like, it's, it's, this is, okay, Ali, this, what happened in 1988 is one of the most ignored mass executions of our lifetime right? Um, and a lot of people, a lot of human rights advocates think that now it's the time. Raisi, who was in that death committee, right, um, who was responsible for these ex executions, now that he's the president, now it's the time to bring that mass executions back into, uh, back into um, the, uh, you know, the, put uh, highlighted as much as possible. And I'm very happy that Amnesty International was on top of it, right? Because, you know, the news cycle shifts attention away from stuff like this really fast, right? So it was very important that there was some, like, we are activists, people, or like there are many other media, more legit, like a lot more legitimate uh, news um, outlets that are, seen as like anti the Islamic Republic, you know, like for BBC Persian or Iran International, some people see it as for them or against them, but people see them as with, with agenda, right? So it was um, important that some institution with some uh, um, authority to have something ready to go um, while the media was paying attention to Iran election. So as soon as Raisi becomes the uh, president, they could refer to that and Amnesty International uh, love them or hate them, they were on top of it, and they came out with a report and a, and a, 
they came up with a, a you know a campaign to bring attention to racist responsibility on the the executions in 1988 right um, and Ali, this these executions are in the thousands okay so the numbers um, are something between low numbers according apparently to the regime itself around 5000 and according to human rights groups um 30,000 so there's something between like it's a very wide oh. range so the so regime itself said that oh no the numbers are they're not that much they're only 5,000 I mean, that was the regime yeah, yeah. they, they okay. accept at least at wow. least 5,000 so I, I can I can I ask you a question yeah, yeah. there's so right now you know recently we've had a lot of protests in Iran right so it was like what 2018 2019 uh, the, obviously you had the 2009 that was also disputed election all of that so they know there's a lot of domestic within Iran. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of political opposition to the regime, right? Like especially to the hardliners. And I know some of that has become dampened. I guess people have become resigned to it. And I guess some of them are not as hopeful as they were before that they could actually get something done. So is that, um, were those, the people that they executed before, right? The mass executions they did, were they similar? They were also like political dissidents? Right, like the um, protesters that come out nowadays in Iran. There were those were a lot more red, like red. Um, those were a much bigger threat to the regime, to the Islamic Republic at that time than the than the protesters are today. Okay. That was like oh, yeah, right so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but by the way, I forgot to finish my thought. I was saying that Montezeri, who was supposed to be the next supreme leader, this is what I was trying to get at. He, we have audio recording of him early on in the uh, Islamic Republic's um, history, uh, is, is you know, early years. The audio recording of Montezeri is addressed to the Deaf Commission saying that this is what, what you guys are doing right now. This is what Islamic Republic is going to be known for. You guys have blood on your hand and we will go down in history as criminals, right? And this was the reason why Khomeini put Montezeri away as his as the next supreme leader like he was uh, after after him standing up to Khomeini for these executions he would put on house arrest until he died right uh, but Raisi he is like a you know like a very loyal dog to these to Khomeini before and now to Khamenei right and I think like the fact that he's so loyal uh, the fact that he's shown to just follow everything Khamenei wants is the reason why he's the pick for presidency, right? Right now, the hardliners, so this is what Khamenei had came out and said is that we are now taking the second step of the revolution. So the Islamic revolution that happened in 1979, that was the revolution itself that removed the monarchs, that was supposed to be the first step. What this is, what he's referring to that is happening is the second step. And a lot of people's interpretation of what the second step means is basically removing all sorts of dissent, basically making every everybody in everything in the government, all like with the, the judiciary, the government, the, uh, the executive branch, um, the parliament, the, and, you know, the IRGC and the, which is the Guardian Council, all of them completely in line, same ideology, everybody on the same side, no dissent, and everybody, most importantly than all of them, loyal to the Supreme Leader. You know? So the thing is that uh, a lot of people think like this, this move right now is in something new. And um, now every like because right look at what's happening right now. The presidency is under hardliners. The judicial system is going to be under hardliners, which it is right now. But the Khamenei is going to pick the second another one is going to remain. Um, the parliament is under hardliners. The IRGC is under hard. Everything is under the hardliners, and people think like, okay, so this was the move, but this was always the plan since the amendment to the constitution um, early on. When they, you know, when people think like the name referred to uh, the guardianship of the jurists in the in the constitution is not actually the guardianship of the jurists. They went back in and amended it, and they called it the absolute guardianship of the jurists, right? Because early on, Khomeini was mentioning like, yes, we have a republic and people vote and blah 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 blah. But Khomeini made it very clear early on: 
if the entire country says votes for something and me, one person, one person says no, then my word goes, right? So when you have the absolute part, like the absolute part of the guardianship of the jurist, that means that the vote of the people is irrelevant, okay? This is just a game that we're playing because we have the republic part of the Islamic Republic. But at the end of the day, every law that is passed by the parliament, if the supreme leader doesn't like that, it will be it will go away, right? Anyone that is anyone that can become a candidate, if the if the supreme leader doesn't want him to become a candidate, that person doesn't have to be a candidate. Every person that becomes a candidate and gets approved and then runs and and wins the election, if the supreme leader decides, like you know what, yes, we approved you, but I don't like you anymore, then you go. Then you go. This is not a democracy. But here's the thing: people, people say, people think like this election. It means that it is now not a democracy. But the thing is that it was never a democracy. One thing that a lot of people are not familiar with is like even during Ahmadinejad, Ahmadinejad, which was, su was supposed to be a hardliner, completely in line with Khamenei before, like um, you know, Rouhani came to power, which is supposed to be our former, right? But Ahmadinejad, for, here's an example for people to understand that this is not something new, like, oh my God, this is all made up, this is all engineered, now everything is under the control of Khamenei. But think about it, think about how it was before. Ahmadinejad didn't like his uh, intelligent, um, intelligence uh, minister, like, kind of like, you know, the CIA branch of his government, right? Go, you want to you say something? No, 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 keep going, I have to check on something, I heard something. Okay, okay. All right, let me put you down then. So this is important. He's going to miss this, guys. This is the most important part, <laughs> okay? Ahmadinejad decided to uh, put away his foreign minister, tell him to leave, because not, not his foreign minister, his intelligence minister, right? So basically um, the CIA kind of branch of his government, right? And he asked him to leave because... I'm not going to go into the detail why he didn't like it. But Khamenei told him, no, like, you, th this is a minister I want for you, right? So what a lot of people don't understand is that one of the authorities, according to their own constitution of Iran, one of the things that the uh, president can do is pick his ministers, right? But at least half of the ministers of the president, the supreme leader comes and directly uh, picks for the president himself. So against their, own, against their own constitution. And when Ahmadinejad, and this is years ago before Raisi, didn't want, like one of his ministers and wanted him to, wanted to dismiss him and pick someone else, so the supreme leader was like, no, you're going to keep this guy, right? Um, and it's, the, the details behind what was the issue is so amazing, okay? It actually gets into magic and curses and all that so but i won't get into that um but ahmadinejad at that time and again remember this is supposed to be a hardliner and Khamenei hardliner ahmadinejad hardliner and now there's a conflict he <laughs> he said you know what i'm gonna go home i'm not kidding like he went and he sat home and never left didn't leave his home for i think 11 days <laughs> right he was like I'm not gonna play games. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna participate in this government because you're not gonna let me pick my own minister, right? So he was like, and Khamenei was reported mentioned to him, right? It was told to him that if you're not gonna play ball, you're gonna stop being the president. So that's that's how the game is played, right? So another another example is when Khatami, when Khatami was in power. He came into power for reform, tried to be like, oh, I'm going to do reform and stuff. He got, he and the, um, him and the parliament, which at that time was the reformist, were passing two laws that were supposed to be expanding the powers of the presidency and also bring more, um, give more free speech to the media, right? So there were two laws that we were supposed to introduce and the parliament voted and they were like, yes, these are the two laws that, it's supposed to be the reforms that the people want. And 
the part the, so the presidency was for it at which at that time was the reformer the reformers the parliament was for it which was supposed to be which was the reformist parliament at that time now it's a hardliner parliament and Khamenei was like i see those i see you have two laws there it would be the, that are supposed to reform the country it would be ashamed if i disagreed with them oh wait i do disagree with them no and Khatami himself took like took him took them back right so this, this is all okay so a lot of people so this is was always a show okay this whole election process it doesn't really matter people like people like oh my god but the nuclear deal now things are going to change because instead of a reformist we're dealing with a hardliner no <laughs> you're not dealing with the president Right, people are like, oh, the United States had a chance to deal with the reformist government, and now they lost the chance, and now they have to with the hardliner. They missed their opportunity on somebody that was eager to do negotiations with them. You were never dealing with the president. You were always dealing with the supreme leader. Nothing is changing. So, again, so and here's here's a theory. I don't even, I'm not, I'm not um, com completely for this theory, but some people also say that the presidents are shifted between hardliner and reformists based on the attitude that Khamenei wants to, based on the faith that Khamenei wants to show to like um, the West um, at the time. Like it's not based because like, oh, now you have a reformist president, um, you know, so you have Ahmadinejad, which is going to be the backup and now that when Khat when Khamenei was like, okay, the the pressure on Iran is getting too much, he just he just allows like Rouhani to come to power to have a softer side. But again, at the end of the day, it's not it's not that Rouhani or Ahmadinejad or Raisi you're dealing with. You're always just dealing with the supreme leader. Not even right now, the Vienna talks. Everybody understands this that the people they're talking to. They're supposed to be representative of Rouhani, but they're not. They know that they have to go home to Tehran and get permissions from Khamenei before they could approve anything. Like the presidency has, even even just yesterday, Rouhani came out like, Ali, I don't know if, like, this, they, it's just everything, like all the things that we were saying in the past few years is now transparently in the open. Because like these were things that we were saying people, but now they are saying it openly. They say, like with the Zarif audio leaks that came out and Rouhani is now saying, uh, Rouhani was, he, here's what Rouhani said, guys, just, they, they're not hiding anything anymore. He said, we would have a deal by now if we had the permission. So Rouhani is not even mentioning Khamenei. But he's saying like the deal between like the nuclear deal between United States and Iran. He was like, because a lot of people think like, why is United States doesn't have a deal with Iran right now? Why are they not doing it? Why are they not doing it? Well, because Khamenei is asking for more things, right? It's not just the United States that like people think like you guys, you guys came out of the deal. You have to jump back into the deal. I'm like, dude. Khamenei is asking for sanctions for sanctions that is not even relevant to the nuclear stuff that was completely legal, which were about human rights, which was which is on his own office. Uh, sanctions that had nothing to do with the nuclear deal. He wants those to be removed as well, and many other things. Um, sanctions on the IRGC, sanctions, um, you know. So and and they also want proof that they will never come back. These sanctions will never come back because they know that if Biden puts back the uh, removes the sanctions it, it's not going to be as strong as anything that goes through congress and uh, iran's like well if you put it back you might we need guarantee that you're never going to bring the sanctions back and biden can't do that without the congress Congress is like well i can't do that i'm not the fucking congress right but the interest the, but the thing is that it's Khamenei that is asking for things like is not letting his team give away too much and this is why rohani says like Guys, don't blame us for not having a deal right now. If we had the permission, a deal would have been done a long time ago. So he, without mentioning Khamenei, is saying that this Khamenei's fault that we don't have a deal. Go on, Eli. What are you going to say? Well, I mean, I think I think you kind of answered it. But like, do they have any – so when they did the negotiations, right, when they're doing the negotiations with John Kerry and all that stuff, and then they had the – like these – they, they – they do the negotiation part and then they go and ask for permission, right? For Khamenei, like, do you approve of this thing? 
but the negotiation part is still done by these, you know, the president and the foreign minister and all these things like Zarif and all that. They're right? just a messenger though. They're nothing but the messenger. They're not actually doing the negotiation. Like this is very interesting because this is, this, guys, this is what we were guessing before, but now this is what they themselves are saying because the audio leaks from Zarif was like saying, when I was talking, for example, when I, to the Russians, like, because by the way, a lot of people feel when, when we talk about the, nuclear deal, people always think it's Iran and the United States. They don't realize that there's a whole bunch of other countries involved, right? Like, Russia is very much an active player in this. But, like, the Russian, like Zarif mentioned, like, when the Russians were there, and he when he was telling them, we can do this, the Russians themselves told us, like, well, you don't know that you can do this. Shouldn't you be talking to... <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't they, like... Like, they were there, like, like, hey, don't promise us something that you can't deliver. Maybe you want to call somebody before you make such a promise, right? Yeah, but <laughs> like, if the Russians completely understood that Zarif has no power, like, he has to check with Khamenei's office before he could even offer any anything. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so this Biden thing, it seems like there are some differences here. There's some similarities. Obviously, he's part of the Obama administration, so there's that good commonality. But also, I mean, Biden doesn't seem like he's going to be um, – uh, sort of appeasing Israel as much as Trump did, for instance. The one thing, the other thing is he seems like he wants to have more of a containment strategy towards Iran. It's like, you got to deal with them. That regime is not going to change. You know, it's never going to be perfect. It is going to be what it is. So we have to be, he has to take on an approach of pragmatism, right? When he's dealing with Iran. Um, what are Khamenei's playing cards? Why is Khamenei saying, okay, you know, this is what we want and really, really extending like all of the demands. Like, what are his playing cards and why does he think, does Biden have any interest in doing this where he's vulnerable, where he has to... Uh, well, they think that Biden has promised that they're going to come back to the deal. That's the promise he made to the American people, right? He said, like, right. we're going to go back to the deal, right? So they think like, okay... Well, then we have you, but given that you had made that promise, then we have you by the by the balls, right? Because we're gonna say that if you wanna if you want the deal back, um, we don't want you to just remove the sanctions that it has to do with the nuclear deal. We want you to remove all the sanctions, every single one of them, even though even the ones that has to do with not with the missiles, with our intervention around yeah. outside of your own borders when it, with the ones that are about human rights, human rights. and the, the human rights one is also an issue for two reasons one because biden has come out making human rights like a major part of his you know platform as like you we care about human rights right we're gonna do deals with like we're gonna put human rights front and center when it comes to us dealing with other countries right yeah. so now if you remove the sanctions that are about human rights, it's going to be like, um, excuse me, Biden, like, what the hell is wrong? Like, so he's like, he's stuck in a place where this this administration is like, oh, you told people, you told everybody that you're going to go back to the deal. So remove everything or else we're not going to go back to the deal. But also now if he removes it, we're like, hey, wait, what happened? You don't have, you don't care about human rights? Yeah. And another thing that makes this whole dif process a lot more difficult is that Raisi is president and he's bringing a lot more attention to Iran's, uh, to Islamic Republic's poor human rights record. And like also now if he talks to this president, People like, hey, what what happened, Biden? Like, what happened to caring about human rights? You're, yeah, you're negotiating with a mass killer. You're, you're negotiating with a mass killer. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. again, it's very difficult. From um, it's very difficult um, for Biden's administration. Also, another thing that makes this very difficult for Biden's administration is that a lot of the things that Khamenei is demanding from Biden are things that Biden can't give, like because he's not like. Is the things that Congress can give, right? Like if it was only on doing what Trump did, Biden can do that, right? But that's not what they want. They want they want guarantees. They want to be something that is not just could be undone by the next president. And Biden was like, well, you're talking like my hands are tied. I can't do this for that Congress. And Congress, even the is even the Democrats in Congress are like not as not eager to like wait where why are we removing the sanctions that are about are about human rights like then they don't want that so again it seems like 
here's the thing it's everybody's saying that these sanctions will be removed like we just got reports that some sanctions from uh, on the office of the supreme leader has be, is being suggested to be that are going to be removed right so it seems like biden is like okay he, here can we give you some of this but again Khamenei had made it clear that we're not going to accept any deal unless all of them are removed so I know that we have to move past this part, and so at some point the deal is going to go through. But I can't. No, I don't understand how because the, both of them are not willing to pass each other's red lines. I know they're going to do it. I'm just so curious. Well, I mean, everybody is. I, I don't know actually, but everybody seems to suggest that at some point the, this deal is going to go through. I'm just waiting to see how are they going to, uh, you know passage like who's going to back down and how what is that going to look like because to me it seems like it's impossible but i know it's not impossible but i'm so glad that i'm not in charge of making these negotiations because it seems like very difficult right now but i i hate the fact that some people that don't know the details behind what's happening that are just like you know going after biden or like why are you not going back to the deal why you should have gone to the deal back to the deal day one do you like you know, maybe like look at what's happening. Like a lot of the responsibility is on Khamenei for why the deals are not back as well. Like, you know, you don't know what's happening and you're just like blaming Biden for this. Like, you know, so anyways, um, I do want to go through the numbers. Do you want to bring up anything? Yeah, do you have any? Yeah, I, I, want, I wanted to ask you about one thing. Like this is, uh, I, I know you're not, a, I, I don't know. Like we, we talked about this. I know you're not a huge fan of Thomas Friedman, but there's something that he wrote in, uh, the New York Times about this uh, that caught my eye. So I wanted to ask you what you thought. So he said, you know, we're talking about the lifting of the sanctions. So he wrote, quote, the regime was quite happy to use resources it gained from America's lifting of sanctions in the 2015 deal, not just to build more roads and schools, but also to fund and arm pro-Iranian Arab Shiites so that they could dominate Arab Sunnis in Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, and Yemen, right? The whole proxy war. This ensured that all four remained weak or failed Arab states, unable to threaten Tehran or produce any true multi-sectarian democracy that would embarrass it. Um, how real do you think that is? I mean, we know the whole sectarian thing is real. I mean, they've been using that funding, but have they been using the stuff that they save from the sanctions to actually yes. get this and ensure that all of these states remain weak and they can't threaten them? Well, I don't know if remain weak is the right way to phrase it. I would say them remaining influential and powerful. Like the, I think I think the framing should be their goal is for the Islamic Republic and especially the IRGC to remain influential and powerful over there. I don't think like I think it's about their they want there to be power in those countries. It just they just want them. They just want it to be their power. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? Like they want, they want Iraq to become like, um, you know, one of uh, Iran's, you know, colonies. Basically, technically, yeah, yeah that's like they they built their empire building. They want they want Syria, Iraq, uh, Yemen mm, to become basically uh, Iran's colonies in the in the region. So. Yeah, if you mean if you mean they want the, the people the, uh, the the government independent from Tehran within these countries to be weak relative to Iran's influence yeah. in these countries. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's what they want, of course. Uh -huh. Of course, that's what. We want, but we knew that already. And yeah, of yeah. course that they're using a, a lot of money is being spent on a lot of the money that is from sanctions relieved are being spent on ex what Khomeini called exporting the revolution. Uh, because again, this is not. This was never about Iran. This was about Islam, and when the, when it was about Islam, it, it, not just not Islam actually, like Khomeini's vision of Islam, right? Like the Velayatifaqi version of Islam, and it was never about a movement that ends within Iran's borders, right? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, can I ask you one more question before you go yep. to the numbers? And this is one thing that I think a lot of other people are wondering too. Um, what does this do for uh, Israel? I mean, if the U.S. is now going back and trying to make this deal, and if it, how whatever shape it takes, now you have a new Israeli government that's coming in, mm. right? Um, is this going to cause more of a rift between the U.S. and Israel? 
especially with Biden now that it's Biden. I mean, this that could be an entire stream on its own. Um, and and, I, and when we mention Israel, we have to ask like who we're speaking in Israel, right? Um, like well, we're like, talking about the new the new government that just came in. Well, now. the new government needs a security threat to be able to signal to the voters that Netanyahu is not Mr. Sec only Mr. Security, that they could they could be like, oh, we're going to be tough to threats as well, right? And honestly, like, Hamas is not, like, a big enough threat to these people for anybody, you know, so you need, like, the big baddie uh, Iranian government for these uh, for these people to be like, we're going to be protected Israeli citizens as well. Like, so for them, they do want, it, you know, they do need an opportunity to show like, oh, look, this person like is a radical, uh, you know, scary person. And this shows that Islamic Republic of Iran is getting more and more extreme, um, extremely um, hard, you know, radical. And we're going to come out and this is an opportunity for Bennett, which is the new prime minister, which is the a leader of the of the, the far right-leaning party, more, more right than Likud itself, to come out and basically, you know, go like, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're strong as well. Don't worry, like, we got you. We're gonna like, sim you know, because Netanyahu is always famous for giving speeches that makes Israel look tough and strong, and we're gonna be like aggressive against our enemies. So I think this gives them that opportunity to do that. So that's that's. Yeah, but overall, yeah. I, overall, I, here's the thing. Overall, it's not going to change much because the IRGC is what, um, and its proxies is what Israel has to deal with. Okay, and they don't wait. The IRGC doesn't deal with the presidency, and they don't even wait for the presidency. They the think like as there, you know, the audio leaks from Zarif, which was the foreign minister of the president uh, Rouhani's office, he admitted that. We hear what the IRGC is doing from the Americans. Like we know, we know what the IRGC is doing after the Americans know what they're doing. Okay, so the idea of like uh, the security issue with for Israel being less, more, it's just a show. They, they, you know, when it comes to anything outside of Iran's borders, um, the IRGC never waits for the office of the presidency, it has zero influence on them, okay? It has zero influence on uh, the, what they do and what the decisions that they make, okay? So that's that's what I think, right? Yeah. Okay, let's see the numbers. <laughs> Susanna is like, IRGC saying, foreign minister, who? <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> okay, cool. So I have these numbers prepared because um, a lot of the things that I was curious about um, I couldn't find like, and people were reporting it, so I had to crunch the numbers myself. So the this part, these numbers are the numbers that you could find anywhere yourself. Uh, you're gonna have to explain it, right? Yeah. So there are certain numbers. Audio. Yeah, there are certain numbers that is reported everywhere, but then I had to calculate uh, my own numbers, and I will try to explain what's happening. Okay. So this is the this is a column that is uh, the numbers for the 2021. Election with race C1. So the turnout rate, here's the problem. This is the number that everybody's reporting. The turnout rate of 48.8%, uh, right? This is not the correct turnout rate. You know, I, this is, so is what happened is we had a record. So actually I have to give you some context first, okay? So before the elections, there was a giant push giant campaign biggest the most amount of unity against the anti-regime people that we have seen for the past 43 years okay because for the past 43 years the anti-regime people were divided right you had the communists you have the pro-monarchs you have the secular democrats uh you had the uh, so many different groups so many different groups um, that Mashrutahaha, I don't know how you translate that, but there's so many different groups and they didn't see eye to eye in anything. In fact, they hated each other. Um, and now it seemed like for the first time they got together and they were like, let's get united. Okay. Um, I want to mention the MEKs as well, but the MEKs still, after all this unity, 
they were like, okay, no, uh, we're gonna everybody, all the opposition is gonna get united. And people are like, what about the MEK? Like, no, we're still gonna, <laughs> we're still gonna leave out the MEK even now. <laughs> so not the MEK. Other than the MEK, all the opposition was united, and they came out with a campaign called Rai Birai, which means like, which basically translates to um, no to voting. Okay, so. Mm. This like people say that these uh, the the voting process is a joke. Anybody who participates in elections is legitimizing this government. Okay, um, uh, especially because Zarif uh, Javad Zarif, which is the foreign minister of the Rouhani administration, goes around internationally, and every time somebody brings up that bring up the fact that a lot of Iranians are um, upset with the government Iran's government and they don't see this government representing them and their human rights issues and the political prisoners and stuff. What Javad Zarif would throw around was like, but we have 77, more than 70% participation rate in our, in our elections, right? How could it be that it's impossible for Iranians to be upset with this government? Like, of course, Iranians uh, want this government, choose this government, say yes to this government uh, because of our people. Look, we have higher than 70%. Like, look at, you know, America, all these Western you know, European countries, they brag about being democratic countries, but none of them has as high participation rates in elections uh, as we do. And they say, like, we, and Zarif said, we are nothing without our people. If these turnout rates were low, it would embarrass us because we have no legitimacy without uh, people, the people who participate in our elections, right? So he would throw it out in every reporter that brought this up, he would throw it in their face. And even Khamenei came out and said that a low participation rate would would destroy our Iran's uh, the Islamic Republic's legitimacy around the world. And he even said that it's pathetic, it's pathetic that some countries have around 40% participation rate. How embarrassing for those countries that have around 40% participation rate, right? So people got the memo. People are like, okay, okay. So that's what the, that's what voting means. Voting means that we are, we are, because some people, say, like even in the 2017 election, some people say, don't vote, don't vote. Voting is legitimizing this government. But the people were divided. Some people are like, no, we're, when we're voting, we're not legitimizing this government. We're voting for reformers because they might bring change. That doesn't mean we agree with the government or anything like that. But it's better to vote and get something better rather than get nothing at all. But now people, after eight years of Rouhani and seeing nothing improving and human rights even going down worse and economy not improving and all that, people are like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, we're going to send a message. We're going to join this campaign of not voting because we want a referendum. You don't give us a referendum, so we will turn the elections into a referendum. We're going to vote by not voting. We're going to make ourselves heard by not participating in this election, right? So what happened is that this election, and especially after all the candidates that were supposed to be, um, you know, the, the candidates who were removed by the Guardian Council, um, anybody that could have competed with Racy was removed. People like it, nobody anticipated after that. Nobody anticipated anyone winning other than Racy, right? So what people were waiting for after that was not to see who's going to win because people were like, obviously Racy is going to win. You remove there anyone else that has a chance, right? Uh, people, the number that people were waiting for was the turnout rate, right? And here's a mistake that the anti-regime people made. They came out and said, "Oh, there's going to be mac only maximum twenty percent. It's going to be under twenty-eight, between eighteen and twenty-two percent." There's not going to be any higher. I'm like, oh my god, why are you guys doing this? I was saying, like, guys, just say under fifty percent is going to be amazing. We want under fifty percent. But these idiots went around and were like, it's going to be twenty percent and twenty percent. Like, stop, stop. Because if they, if you say twenty percent, if it ends up being like thirty percent or forty percent or fifty percent, yeah. it's going to look like they won. Right? Expectations. Gonna, yeah, I know. Yeah, don't set up the twenty percent expectation. People are like, no, Armin, you don't understand. It's going to be twenty. Like I've talked to anybody, and no one's going to vote. Nobody. I talked to my auntie and this person and that person, and no one's going to vote. It's going to be twenty percent, right? I was like, guys, just say under fifty percent and call it a win. Um, so here's the thing: it ended up being forty-eight point eight percent, which is the lowest turnout ever. However, I have an adjusted number here for you, okay? Because what was interesting is look at this, Ali. From among the people who voted. 12% of them, or 13% of them, if you round it, 
is was void votes. And this was the highlight of this election, okay? Because for many years, people understood that a lot of the people who vote don't want to vote, but they need the stamp. So when you're born in Iran, you get this notebook, which is supposed to be an ID notebook. You have an ID card, but you also have an ID notebook. I don't know how to translate that. It's called the Shinasname. But it has, I have mine. I could show it to you. It has like a page on it where you get stamps every time you vote. And you need those stamps, especially if you want to get a government job or if like, I don't know, like it could, it could, there could be consequences if you don't have that stamp. Oh. Okay. Right. So a lot, the understanding was that there are so many people who vote, not because they want to vote, but because they need that stamp. Okay. So you can see in 2017. <laughs> That's why Iran has such high turnout numbers even before. I mean, like 73, 72%, like in the past. Right, right. Exactly. So the argument is not the argument is that in Iran voting is not mandatory, right? But also the understanding is that there could be consequences for you not having that stamp. So yeah. just just that by itself makes a lot of people want to go and collect that stamp, right? Mm. But the interesting thing is that like in pre in 2013 elections and anything before it, the void rules were very, very low. Okay. In 2017, they became a lot higher by to which was around 3%. That was already very high. And that was the first ever like major push that we saw for people saying, don't vote, don't vote, it legitimizes the regime. You could see that from 2013 to 2017, it actually picked up. That means that there were people who went there, stood in line, got to the voting booth, but they just didn't write anyone's name or a lot of them actually wrote joke names or celebrity names, American celebrities, like, you know, Obama. Some people say they voted for Obama <laughs> or stuff like that. Right. But, but they're like, you know, if you're, if you're in, especially, especially if you're in the military or if you have a government job, any other government job, you want to get that stamp or you know, there could be consequences and stuff. But this election, you could see that when, when when there was a giant push for people not voting, even the, from the people who wanted to collect that uh, stamp, um, a lot of them, like basically thirteen percent of the people, they didn't write anyone's name, and that's why the vote void votes in this election was the second runner up, right? So the first candidate, the first the highest um, um, number of votes raised, he got that sixty two percent votes, and the second one was not any of the candidates. The second high runner up after the candidate who won was void, and the third one was not even a reformer. The third one was another hardliner, and the fourth one was a reformer. Okay. So hardliner number one, hardliner number two, void votes number three, again another hardliner number four, a reformer. But go on, Ali. So you have so what you have here. So I'm I'm just reading the column for people who are hearing the audio. So under 2021, you have turnout. Then you have hardliner and reformer. So you've divided that, and then under that you've got void, Ibrahim Raisi, and other votes. Right. So for hardliner, I added up the votes for Raisi and Rizai because they're both hardliner. Okay. Right. But in underneath that, Rizai is under other votes, right? No, no, no. Rezaei is like there. There was one other candidate which was not a reformist or Rezai, uh, or reformer or hardliner. It was just like you just got uh, around three percent. So that's okay. important. I just wanted to. I just put that there so just to make sure that my test gets up to one hundred percent to make sure my numbers are correct. Okay. So that's why I put that. So, there. but yeah, yeah. So, uh, so okay. So that's how. So what you're saying is that the second runner-up was the void vote. So I just for people who are listening to this. 2009, 2013, the void votes are pretty much negligible. And then yes. 2017, they're 2.9%, so almost 3%, which was pretty much unheard of. That's considered a very high number of people who are mm -hmm. going there to vote so they can get their stamp, but they just write in the name of, I don't know, um, uh, Steven Seagal or you know some other celebrity, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what they do. And that number, 3%, which was pretty high in 2017, four years later now in 2021, is 12.87%. So 13% of people about voted. Yes. Basically, they went to the polls and they voted for no one. So what exactly. you're doing is when you want to adjust the turnout, you are adjusting the void numbers. Mm -hmm. 
No, no. So when I the turnout therefore is the forty eight percent minus the so he, first I have to adjust the void number because this twelve percent, this thirteen percent is thirteen percent of the to, of the people who voted, right? Right. So I want to adjust the number to get the percentage of the total of the people number of people who can vote, right? So the population of Iran is eighty five million, right? Sixty million is the voting of the population of the people who are voting age and they can vote, right? Right. So among the sixty million, right, um, only forty-eight percent of them voted. So this is a forty. This is forty-eight percent or forty-nine percent of the sixty million. Not not forty-eight percent of the um, eighty-five million, but yeah. only of the people who vote, right? So that means that if twelve percent of the population voted, 13% of the population voted void, you have to adjust what's the percentage of the entire, of all the people who vote, then you have to multiply the 48% times 12%. So that means the void vote of out of the everybody who could vote, it will be 6%, right? Mm. So 6% of the people who could vote, voted vo void, right? Really? So to get the actual turnout rate, I will have to make 48% minus this six percent over here right so i shouldn't be minus the 12 percent because this is the 12 percent out of um out of the people who could vote this 48 percent is out of all the people sorry this 48 percent is out of all the people who could vote right mm -hmm. um so i have to minus the six percent because this six percent is also out of all the people who could vote right this 12 percent is only out of the people who voted not out of the people who could vote yeah so it has to be 42, so it has the number that you need to get to get the actual turnout. So basically, let me let me simplify this. To get the actual turnout rate, you have to remove the people who went there but didn't technically vote. Like they actually they put in their ballot, but they didn't put anyone's names. You can't, I don't think you can count those as turnout because they technically didn't vote, right? So the adjusted, if you want to get the actual turnout rate, all the people who didn't vote for anybody should be removed from the turnout rate. So the actual turnout rate is 42%, right? And this is very important because the 48% number, everybody's rounding it out to 50, rounding it up to 50%, right? But the 42%, people will be rounding it down to 40%. So the, the narrative is going from saying half of the population voted to 40%. I mean, the 40% is a lot more would like delegitimize that was the number that Khamenei gave himself as pathetic as a number that would completely delegitimize the government and that's actually that's what happened so i don't know not the regime is going around and saying 50 percent of the people voted and everyone else is also saying that 50 percent voted but the actual number is 40 40 percent of the people voted this is the number that people should be reporting right now but it's too late because everybody's just running with the 50 percent Right? Yeah, I mean, so, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to think of it in this kind of detail that you did here. So, yeah, yeah this is um, yeah, this is really interesting. So, yeah. what is, yeah, yeah that's so the, basically, uh, why are, so there was an actual movement of people saying that go out and don't vote. There were, oh, yeah, it was the biggest campaign, the biggest, the biggest, like, the opposition against the regime um has always been the greatest weakness that everybody makes fun of them for is their disunity, right? The a common joke is that every time you guys make a new group against the regime, it's just like three of you, <laughs> right? Three of you are make, making a new party. And then within one week, one of you descends from the party and like becomes like a new branch of this party that you just created. Like the, 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 the internal fighting, like the like this the Islamic Republic of Iran has nothing to fear because you guys keep fighting the opposition keeps fighting among itself. There's nothing that you like even in your meetings you can't even agree on what to order where to go eat like let alone agreeing on how to dismantle this regime right. So that was the running the the ongoing joke about the opposition. So this was like wow they actually managed to get together and put all their political differences like oh capitalist communist i don't know monarchist uh, secular democrat you you managed to actually put that all aside and unite over this campaign which was uh, the not voting campaign right so it was you know like you guys are actually capable of doing getting something done right so that was that was a very new and unique thing right mm -hmm. so with the with this yeah, uh, Armin. What what happens now? So in twenty nine in two thousand and nine, 
you had the whole green revolution thing that happened. I mean, you had Musavi, uh, who was the reformer candidate, and he uh, didn't win the election. And then the protesters came out and they thought it was rigged in favor of Ahmadinejad, who got reelected. All that. Um, and then you've had subsequent protests after it. This result is even more egregious, right? So now you've got the IRGC consolidating power. Uh, you've got, well, I mean, you've got. You've got a commoner basically consolidating power pretty much everywhere. I mean, there's no separation now between the political affairs and the whole spiritual affairs of Eliyad Tefaki and everything. So, what is the? What are you hearing from? Are you? What are you hearing from activists and protesters? Are they going to do the kind of thing that they did in the past, or have they just given up? Well, as you speak, we're having um, the greatest strikes. Um, United strikes in Iran right now in the oil industry, right? Um, uh-huh. As we speak right now, this is going ongoing, right? So um, this is like um, something I want to work with the uh, the Iranian communists with because they're they're very experienced when it comes to strikes and all. And this is like uh, this government's um, Achilles' heels because the night a lot of people underestimate. In the 1979 revolution, like a lot of people think, like the pro- look at the protests of the people that came to the street and managed to make that revolution happen in 1979 and brought that uh, the, the Pahlavi dynasty. But the one thing that is not highlighted often enough was the initial uh, the uh, push that actually was very devastating to the Pahlavi dynasty was that strikes by the people who were working in the oil industry, right? That mm. was like, when it comes to hitting them where it hurts, that was extremely significant, right? So it's once, like we saw, this is something that I thought like would be, I'm, I'm now looking at because this could actually hurt more than other, than other protests in the streets, right? So what, like, and again, Ali, it's really good that you asked this because this is not getting enough attention, right? Because, when people come into the streets and they don't have any guns and they don't have any power and you see that the government shuts down the internet and then shoots a, a whole bunch of people and it doesn't get enough international attention because the internet is out and the videos are not getting out fast enough. Once the internet is back off, the news cycle has already moved on to something else. They did that last time and it was very effective. But at, at this, uh, the government has shown that whenever it feels enough threat, it it doesn't mind completely ignoring human rights and just aiming for the head when they come to the streets, right? And shooting people, right? So they do not shy away from like completely taking it up to the extreme when it comes to making sure people uh, stay back, right? However, these new strikes that are becoming, it's different from when people come into the streets and protest against the government. This is more subtle uh, because it's not like they are coming out and making, raising havoc. And, you know, it's really hard to shoot these people because they're not doing anything other than not working. Right. Um, But also it could hurt a lot. I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm very interested to see in the, this, this type of activism right now is getting a lot more popular and it's unfortunate that it's not getting more attention because it's not as sexy as when people come out and say like, screw this government and we hate you. And like the, the rally type of activism. the rally type. So like, yeah, it does. It's not as sexy and it doesn't get as much attention internationally, but it could be devastating. Right. These type of strikes. Um, and, you know, I'm yeah, it's a, like having domestic sanctions from within. Yes, exactly. Like, yes. Like yes. This is like, this is the Iranian people telling the government, like, you think United States removing sanctions is going to save you? What about our sanctions? Yeah. What if we put sanctions on you, right? So this is perfectly said, Ali. What That was beautiful. Perfectly said. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. That's good. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that from you. Uh, do you want to highlight some comments before we... Yeah, oh, let's one, do that. One thing, like, before, yeah. before we highlight, just one last thing. This was by everybody ac- accepts that this was a humiliating defeat for reformists, for the reformist movement, right? The reformist movement in Iran 
is the most hated movement right now by all sides, including the hardliners, hmm? including the pro-reform people. Well, there is no pro-reform people. People yeah. like, I mean, there is. There's four, there's four <laughs> percent, right? Yeah. No, like, um, like people, like there, there are people are either mostly okay. I'm not, let's not generalize, right? Mostly are just like hardline pro hardliners, or pro, like or anti-regime. Okay, I don't want to say pro toppling the regime because even the anti-regime people, some of them are pro toppling the regime. Some of them hate this regime, but they're like unsure what's going to happen if this regime gets toppled. So they're not like, yeah, I hate this regime, but I don't know if I'm for toppling it. Right. So I'm just going to go with the more general term of say instead of saying pro toppling. I would say anti-regime, right? So the two main groups are hardliners, right? Which based on my calculations, which I won't get into, is 35% of the country, okay? And anti-regime people, which is 42% of the country, and reformers are at 4%. They are, the reformers are hated by both by the anti-regime people and by the hardliners. It's very, very popular right now in Iran to be anti the reformers, right? Like if you, you, you it's basically political suicide from all sides to be for the reformers, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So the yeah. idea of Khatami, Rouhani, those camp right now, they seem like, you know, they don't seem like they have a future, right? When it comes to Iran's politics. It's just the hardliners versus the anti-regime people. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, so let's say, let's take a couple of comments, and we're we're already at an hour, so let's do another uh, few minutes, so we can just uh, take in some of the comments. There's a question from Wait, Susanna, right? What what time? Well, I mean, I guess there's a, a, it was eleven fifty two. So we've already covered. Sorry, so music guy has been asking some questions, but we already covered that the protesting during the whole election. So we just covered mm-hmm. that right now. Okay, music guy, we answered you. Yeah. Do you think that there will be momentum in continuing the boycott or have people been discouraged? Well, yeah. So this is, I guess, the boycott with the oil industry. Well, it, like this is just picking up right now as we speak. So I don't know. It's too soon to speak. Um, okay. What I can tell you is that in response to the, some of these um, strikes, um, a lot of these oil companies have came out and have of then giving it, have uh, laid them off. Uh, a lot of these people, as soon as they started striking, instead of giving to them to demands, they just officially hand out their, you know, papers that you're laid off. And a lot of these people who were on strike were showing to the cameras, like they all picked up the papers to show to the cameras, like, look, this is where the response. They just, they just, they just laid us off. And here's something, Ali. This, this is how the strike could be devastated. The strike, the way the strike could not work. Like one way that the, some people are suggesting, I don't know. Okay. This something I'm worried about is it's a lot of anti-Chinese racism that might start growing in Iran because Iran, the Islamic Republic, is getting closer to China and filling a lot of jobs with with Chinese money and all of that. And some of these strikes might not work because some people are saying that oh they're going to just fill them up with Chinese workers and stuff like that. Um, and unfortunately, one thing I'm seeing again you know, becoming more popular among anti anti regime people is some anti-Chinese racism, like I'm trying to, in, in, in my Persian show, I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to try to direct this at CCP and like fight against, you know, anti-Chinese, um, you know, kind of narratives. So we'll see if that works, but I, I'm, I'm seeing like, there's a lot of hatred towards that is picking up. So we'll see okay. what happens. All right. So 1156, Susanna saying, please talk about the U.S. reaction to Raisi's presidency. You think you could do that quickly? Well, I could just quick. I'm just going to quickly mention that they didn't congratulate them, and they raised that they mentioned that it's a concern, um, Raisi's human rights and stuff. So they brought attention to that. Uh, the people who did um, congrats. One thing I could tell you that it was Russia's uh, Putin, like just. Uh, was the first country to uh, contact the Islamic Republic and congratulate Raisi. Like, it, it was so fast that people were actually amazed about how how little time it took Putin to contact Iran and congratulate them. But no, U.S. was like uh, raised concerns so far um, yeah. about the human rights record and stuff like. And also, they also mentioned the fact that this was not the Iranians. Um, 
people's choice uh, and this uh, this whole was uh, this election was engineered and rohani's uh, um, office spokesperson uh, came out and responded to the united states um, and responded to Anthony Blinken and said that United States, this is against um, international laws because United States has no right um, saying some meddling in our politics and they have no right saying this, which is weird because I don't think there's any laws um, that prevents commenting um, on Iran's politics. So yeah, just a standard Iranian um, you know, cry, uh, you know res Iranian government response, which is like crying a bad intervention even though it was just a comment yeah um so okay. yeah so uh, yeah any info on uh, d boudreau is asking any info on reaction in tarantulas so in the tarantulas, <laughs> oh, no, people was, don't that, know there's a yeah. big iranian population in los angeles you know a lot of the people they tend to be very very anti-regime so yes, yeah yes, and yes. music guy wants to move there <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Um, so yeah, and, and Susanna said there were a bunch of protests, really intense oh, protests and confrontations at the Iranian embassy where she is. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, good. Anyway, this, oh, this yeah. is super. Huh? Sorry, go ahead. You no, 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 you go ahead. No, 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 no. No, no. I was just saying this was super, super informative. I mean, there's a lot of things I learned. There's numbers. That number chart is like fascinating because yeah. I, I, I had never thought of adjusting. I didn't know about this void thing. I always used to wonder. I remember in HuffPost, I wrote this article in 2009 about, you know, what, what the thing that 70 million Iranians really voted for. I was like, these people really want to come out and vote. I didn't know that they actually get stamps in a book for that, which is... Uh, yeah, I should have my... I, I have my Shana's number somewhere. I should one day bring it up because I voted for Khatami many years ago when I was like a teenager. And I and I collected that stamp, so maybe one day I will bring it up and show it to people. Yeah, like, the yeah stamp that would be kind of cool. I think we're going to be revisiting this quite a bit anyway so um hey everyone uh, thank you for listening this was i hope this was as educational for you what armin said as it was for me um you know we'll see what happens from here onwards there's still a lot to talk about right i mean i don't think an hour is enough to cover it but uh if you like what you hear here please consider going to patreon.com slash sjme and uh becoming a patron you can become a patron uh, a patron for uh, as little as a dollar a month and you will get five to six episodes uh, a month that you can tune into, watch live. If you want to ask your questions ahead of time, you can go to the Patreon page. You can put in your questions. Your questions will be the ones that are addressed first. Uh, and, and you can also engage in the stream and ask your questions. And yeah, actually, let, let me explain that better because um, a lot of people can't be live here with us. Um, so again, we're making it possible for our patrons if uh, if you're a patron, when we post this the upcoming stream on Patreon, and you don't know if you could be here to ask your question, you could just post your comment um, under the Patreon uh, under Patreon post. Uh, um, you could post your question as a comment under there, and we'll make sure to ask your questions so that if you can't join us live, at least we make sure that your question is answered. And then when you watch it later, you know that your question is being addressed there. So, um, so yeah, there's that. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. All right. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming and listening to us. And uh, we have our uh, end of month uh, Q&A happening uh, on June 30th. So be sure you join in and then come here. That's a, that's a public episode. You can bring all your friends and stuff and ask us about whatever you want. Yes. So that's going to be on June 30th. Okay. And until then, be best. Thank you. Be best, everyone. Bye. <laughs> the secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadists.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.